very pleased to be back. I enjoyed being here last time. I enjoyed what seemed to me to be a very Christ-like spirit, a real joy in worship, and that you were singing from the heart. And I think that any church that has children's sermons right in the middle of the service is on the right track. I love doing children's services. I've got a bunch of stuff here that I need to clean up. Kind of got a mess. Sound, do we, are we okay? Am I hearable? All right. I was going to tell an awful story about, well, I'll tell it anyway. I was janitor at a very large Methodist church down in Florida, and they were having a wedding, which meant that I had to hook the pastors up for sound, and then there's a couple other things I needed to do. But okay, put this about 30 years ago. This guy is about 80. He's a retired pastor, but people there knew him and loved him, so they asked him to do the wedding. And he didn't understand technology very well. These kind of mics, these kind of mics, uh, were new, and I had to hook him up with one, and I don't know that he'd have bothered to use the on-off switch. So I told him I was going to turn it on and he was to leave it on and not bother with it. But after I do this, anything he said would be broadcast to 400 people waiting for the wedding, not just to the few guys out there in the hall waiting to come in to actually get married. Um, he forgot. And he began telling stories to get the uh, groom calmed down and ready for the service. And when he came in, all these 400 people had these big smiles. That has nothing to do with my sermon, but I thought about that, about the whole issue of getting these microphones working. I've often struggled with mics. In my last church, they had a hard time getting them to stay in place. I hope this one stays in place. I didn't trust the girl who suggested staples, but okay, I'm glad to be back. I appreciate, you know, all the while you're listening to me, I'm watching you while I'm speaking, and I can see that some of you were really with me last time as I talked about being connected with God. We can't do anything without him. We can do a lot of things that look like we're doing something, but we can't really do anything worthwhile without God. And so I thought I'd continue that theme this morning with one of my favorite texts. And if I was on top of my game, I'd have a, the scripture up here, my favorite scriptures, one of my favorites. Oh, he did it. He's got it. Not quite the way I had in mind to do it, but okay. Do we have the right ones? Uh-oh. The one looks a little short. Okay, the Lord's Prayer. How many of us knew that there were two Lord's Prayers in the New Testament? There's the one we all know in the Gospel of Matthew. That's the one that starts out on the left. Um, but there's also one in Luke, and that's the one on the right. And I'm trying to figure out what, what's missing here. But the one in Luke is much shorter than the one in Matthew, and that's the one for busy people. At any rate, that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about what kind of person prays this way. 
I've studied the Lord's Prayer, and we're talking about getting down to the original languages and looking at all the different nuances of what's being said here. And I've, I've read the sermons, I've listened to the sermons, I've read the books on the Lord's Prayer, and there are many of them. But I've never heard anybody ask, what kind of person prays this? What needs to be in your head and in your heart if you're actually going to pray the Lord's Prayer? Now, this is a prayer for disciples, for people who want to be saints but are not. How many of us want to be saints but we feel like we're coming short? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Forget I asked, no. But if that's you, okay, and that's certainly me. My, hand, my Both of my hands are up. I want to be a saint, and I know I'm not there. My wife certainly knows I'm not there. But yeah, this is a prayer for people who want to be saints but are not. People who have their struggles, just as the disciples had their struggles. You kind of get the impression and it's a correct impression that the disciples were like apprentices. We all know what an apprentice, I hope we all know what an apprentice is. It's somebody who joins themselves to a master so that they can learn to do something. You might, um, if you wanted to be a carpenter, for example, couldn't drive a nail straight, you'd go to a master carpenter and apprentice yourself and learn how to do it. Or if you wanted to be a plumber, I'm not sure what kind of things plumbers would eat. Oh, I know what they do, but I don't know if a good example offhand. But if you want to learn how to do it, you go to the master. Well, the disciples, the 12 that we have in the Bible, they wanted to be holy. And so they went to the master of holiness. And they recognized Jesus as being that, that person. They wanted to be saints, so they went to Jesus, and among all the other things Jesus did, he taught them a prayer. And it's a great prayer, and it's one, it's, I think it's enormously important, because it tells us, it shows us what God really wants for us, what we really need in our hearts and in our lives. So we've got this prayer. Sometimes some people call it the disciples' prayer, and I like that term because it is a prayer given to disciples because disciples are airheads. They have an idea that they want to do right, they want to be impressive, they want to please God, but they know they're not really there, and so they come to Jesus. They are people who would never seem to get it. They don't understand what Jesus is saying. And sometimes they're rebellious against what Jesus is saying. And in the end, they all run away from him. They abandon him. Except for the two, one who denied him and the other who betrayed him. It's not the loveliest thought that we should be like them, but we are. We come to them as imperfect people, and we want to do better. And so of all the other things Jesus did, one of the things he did was to give this prayer. And the church has found in this prayer something of the essence of what we need to be thinking about when we pray. 
It's an enormously important prayer. Um, boy, one could go on and on about that, but I've got so much sermon here. I'm going to move along. Okay, when we think about the Lord's Prayer, when I talk about the Lord's Prayer or listen to other people talk, oh, there we've got more of it here. Um, as we try to get our minds around what's in this prayer and what it's saying to us, um, there's a lot of thinking, a lot of sermons, as I said, a lot of scholarly works, uh, a lot of research. And it's, it's interesting. All that stuff means there's a lot of arguments and a lot of fights and a lot of disagreements. Um, anything really important is going to be contentious in the church, I'm sure. And I wish that weren't so. I wish that we could learn to not place such high value on our own opinions, but learn to let the Bible speak to us. Trust in God to speak to us. And I heard that in a couple of the prayers that we sang, this, or a couple, a couple of the songs, excuse me, not prayer, but songs. I get the impression that that's an important value here, that we listen for God to speak. Not just listen to a, the words of a song or not just listen to a sermon or to a teaching or whatever, but to be hungry for God. Okay, I'm hoping, that, I'm sure, I'm, I'm confident that that's what's happening this morning. So I want to talk about two questions first. Two questions that often come up when we talk about the Lord's Prayer. And yeah, they, they are important questions. There are actually lots of questions, but the others are too small. But there's one, per, one word, one thought that seems to come up a lot. Do we pray this just as Jesus gave it, gave it to us? Or is it a pattern for prayer? Now, I grew up in a fundamentalist Baptist church, and they were very specific. This is a pattern for prayer. We're not to pray this word for word. We're to let it shape our prayers. And it's not a bad idea. It's not a bad teaching. Repeating it word for word didn't sit well with them, and it didn't sit well with me for a while. But then I thought about it, and I thought, eh, maybe that isn't quite correct. Maybe I need to think again about this. Um, and in my studies of Jewish traditions, Jewish history, the people who heard Jesus, the people who were standing around when Jesus taught these prayers, or this prayer, they would have understood him to say, to be saying, pray it as I give it to you. Jewish traditions, Jewish ways of doing these things, they were very comfortable with the idea that you take a prayer somebody else wrote or somebody else taught, and then you make that your own. Um, this is how the Psalms, a lot of the Psalms were formed. There was something that people could, could put their hearts into as they offer them up to God as their own, even though they're written by somebody else. Um, there was a tradition in the time of Jesus called the 14 benedictions. Every Jewish man was required to pray the 14 benedictions every day. And to give you an idea of where they were, one of them was, you thank God that you weren't created a woman. Remember, this is something men are required to do. Oh, we got to, uh-oh. 
Are we in trouble? They're scrambling up there. Say again? I don't know. Somebody's heading this way. I'll talk louder. How's this? Okay, where was I? Okay, 14 benedictions. Every man was required to pray these. Women were not. Of course, you could because if you're a woman, you can't pray thanking God that you weren't created a woman. Okay, so that's one of the 14. Another was you thank God you weren't created a Gentile. And I can see that. We don't know. Okay. We got lots of help here. All right. How close is this? Okay, I think I'm good. All right, 14 benedictions. People would have understood Jesus to be adding another benediction to the first 14. Because if you read them, that's kind of the what Jesus is providing them with here. Something very similar to those prayers, those supplications, those praises, those thanksgivings, whatever, that every Jewish man was required to do, and every Jewish woman understood them and knew what was there. Um, but at any rate, the point I'm trying to make, they wouldn't have had a problem with this. Rabbis would do this all the time. Um, they would add benedictions. They would never take them away that I know of. But yeah, um, after Jesus was crucified, they added two more. We, we don't need to get into that, but that's a, they, uh, they, they, okay. Jewish prayer, they were comfortable with this. Take it as it was given and pray it. But let's think about another group, very different group. How about the Amish? How many of us know that the Amish pray the Lord's Prayer up to 20 times a day? When they need to pray, or when they want to pray, they don't generate their own words and their own thoughts. They go to what Jesus gave them, and they pray this. Somebody asked an Amish bishop, why do you do that? Why do you do this 20 times a day, or more, whenever they feel like praying? And he said that they consider it to be prideful to think that they could come up with better words than Jesus. So if you can't come up with better words, why not go with the best and use those? So, Yeah, first of all, the idea, do you pray it word for word or do you just take it as a pattern? Bottom line is, yeah, whatever makes the most sense. I think I mentioned that there are two Lord's prayers. One is long and the other is short. Um, if you look at them, and I'd encourage you, you've got them up here, think about what's, what's up here, what they're saying. The one is long, the other is short. But if you look at the ideas, they're both saying exactly the same thing. So it is a pattern that Jesus is affirming here, and the people have affirmed for long centuries. But it's a very tight pattern. It's a pattern of ideas that ought to be very important to us. Okay, let's move on. The second question, and this gets back to what the Amish do 20 times a day. Actually, the bishop said 21 times a day, and I wonder why 21? 
what are the 21 events that happen at any given day that they would pray the Lord's Prayer? But I don't know that bishop, so I can't ask that question. But they do pray it a lot. And they pray it over and over and over. Now, we kind of wonder about those things, but the reason they do that is it's not important whether it's repetitive. It's important that it come from the heart. Now, where are our worship leaders? I want to ask the worship leaders. Somebody's got to say amen here, I hope. We just sang a, a song with repetitive phrases at the end. Did anybody notice that? Did you not notice it because you do it every week and it's just a part of worship? As you do that kind of thing and you put your heart into it, it seems to enhance and enrich the worship experience. Am I right? Somebody's shaking their head. All right. That's the idea. That's what the Amish are doing when they repeat this prayer. It's what we do when we repeat these worship choruses. Um, it's what the Orthodox do. Just a word about Orthodoxy. They pray the Lord's Prayer. They have their own prayers, too. Um, they've got one called the Jesus Prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It just takes a minute, less than a minute. And the way it works is you breathe in, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. No, the Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, then you exhale, have mercy on me, a sinner. And if you pray that over and over and over, it becomes kind of embedded and stamped into your heart. Um, at least that's what they're aiming for. I've seen these beads that they use, not quite beads, they use knots rather than beads. Um, I've got one at home with 33 knots, and they would pray that 33 times. They would use the knots to help them keep straight. But I know that in the monastery, some of them have these knot ropes with 500 knots, which means they want to pray this 500 times a day. But it's the same idea. Are you putting your heart into it? Are you putting your heart into what you're singing when you sing the same phrase over and over again? When you do that, it seems to enrich the experience and bring you closer to God. The Amish would say there's an enormous difference between saying a prayer and praying a prayer. And that's, that's where we're going here. So let's get to the text. We've got the text here. I think we've got it all here now. You can see the differences, but you can see the similarities. You can see that it's really the same prayer and that God simply isn't all that fussy about specific words, but the specific ideas are very important. So let's begin by looking at this. I'll be focusing mostly on Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer, um, beginning with... Our Father in heaven. Who are we praying to? It's surprising how often, if you had a good relationship with your earthly father, you'll have a good relationship with your heavenly father. And if you haven't had that good relationship, then it takes a lot more work and a lot more faith to trust that when you pray to God, 
You're praying to your Father. You're praying to someone who cares about you. You're praying to someone who loves you. Um, yeah. There is no us-them mentality in the church. Now, I want to emphasize that. We pray to our Father, at least in the Matthew version. And Luke, it just says Father. But in Matthew, Jesus says we pray our Father who art in heaven. It's sad that the church can let itself get divided over a lot of different issues, including the issue of how you pray the Lord's Prayer. Um, and we tend to exclude certain kinds of people. We tend to see ourselves as being superior to certain kinds of people. Jesus gives us only one level for disciples. We are all needy. We are all in need of God's grace. And we all share this burden together. When we say our Father, we're not just talking about a label, Father. We're talking about someone who created us, who sustains us, and who we can trust our lives to. Hallowed be thy name. This is a great little boy story. Do y'all love little boys? I guess it's easy to love them. They're always coming up with, I have a couple of people shaking their heads here. Uh, somebody asked a little boy, what is God's name? And he said, Harold. And he said, how do you get Harold as God's name? And he said, well, the prayer, prayer says, our Father in heaven, Harold be thy name. Ah, gotta love him. Okay, How, hallowed, hallowed. We pray to a God who we hallow, which is an old English word which means that we honor, that we value, that we respect, who we honor, who we value, who we respect. This is not a prayer for perfect people. It's a prayer for imperfect people. It's a prayer for needy people. And this prayer takes us to the one who can actually do something about our needs and our, and our heart's aches. And being that kind of person, we can trust in him and we can honor his name. We can revere his name. We can hallow his name. Okay, so he goes on. Jesus goes on. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Two lines. This is, this is just a technical thing. In, G, in Hebrew poetry, you often have one line making a statement and another line clarifying the statement. Thy kingdom come. What does that mean? Well, what it means is, thy will be done. If he's the king, that means we have to listen. Excuse me. If he's the ruler of the earth, if he's in charge, then his will should be done. If he has all wisdom. Okay, we've got a great God who's worthy of our worship, worthy of our trust, and thus... We ought to listen to him. 
we ought to want his will to be done. And having said that, let me say that I pray that, and then I immediately go on and lie to him and get hypocritical because I start praying, give us our day, this daily bread. Or if we're praying the Luke version, give us each day our daily bread. Some of us could do with a little less daily bread. And I think that while it's a legitimate prayer that God will provide us what we need, I think for me at least, it's a legitimate prayer to have God help me to not take so much. Um, when I was hospitalized, I went through four weeks of a heart-healthy diet. Now, I don't know a lot about what's going to happen specifically when we all get to heaven and we all sit at the Lord's table and we all get to enjoy this banquet that I see as being endless. But I can pretty much guarantee a heart-healthy diet will not be on the menu. I lost 30 pounds on a heart-healthy diet. And it wasn't because it was so healthy. It was because I would look at it and put the lid back on and send it back, just taking the crackers. <sighs> so I discovered that I've got this problem. I eat a whole lot more than I need. Now, in the days of Jesus, not many people were in that kind of position, so they could legitimately pray, Lord, give us this day. But for me, yeah, I want just enough for the day, and I want to recognize just what's enough, and I want to be able to stop when I get to enough. So this is about changing us, making us more the people that we want to be, the, the people that he wants us to be. And we get to one, probably the most important um, supplication here, and forgive us our debts, as we have for, also forgiven our debtors. Now remember, we've got two Lord's Prayers in the Bible. We've got one in Matthew, one in Luke, and lots of churches pray the Lord's Prayer every Sunday, and it's a deal that the pastor or somebody in authority gets up and leads the Lord's Prayer. I was going to preach for a friend, kind of the situation we're in now. He was going to be out of town. I was a student in seminary. He needed somebody to come and preach for him. So he said, well, he asked me if I would come do it. And I said, fine. And then he said very sternly and very specifically, now remember, we're debtors, not transgressors. If you're going to say the Lord's Prayer, you've got to choose the right one to be. Um, but yeah, we've got these two. We've got this idea that we need to be forgiving. Whether we're debtors or whether we're transgression, transgressors, excuse me, we need to be forgiving people. And we need to be that because we need to be forgiven. And we go to God for forgiveness. How does that work? Why is that so important to God that it's something repeated frequently in the New Testament. Now, in Matthew, no, wait a minute, where is it? Yeah, Matthew 18, we have the story of a servant who owes his master a lot of money, and he can't repay. And so he pleads with the master, please forgive me. And the master does, and it's a wonderful thing. And then he goes off 
and finds another servant who owes him lunch money. And that guy can't repay either, but he refuses to forgive. And he has the guy thrown in debtor's prison. It doesn't end well for that servant. Somehow, the king, the master, is extremely upset that he forgave so much and this servant couldn't forgive anything. Well, I think I understand why that's, that's so, how that works. Do any of us remember the singing wingerts? Anybody at all? I don't see any hands. So I can say anything about them that I want to. Okay, they had this bus, and they would pack themselves up and go off to churches all around this area about 40 years ago, and they would sing, and they sang very well. Now, they're called the singing wingers because you got mom, you got dad, at least two daughters, and maybe a son. I can't remember if there was a son there. But then he also had two sons-in-laws. And what struck me was I could sit there and I could look at mom and dad and I could look at the two girls and I could see a very strong family resemblance. And then I looked at the sons-in-law. They weren't wingers. <laughs> That's okay. They don't have to be wingers. But they didn't look like wingers. If you're born into the family, then you're going to look like your parents. Do we all know that to be true? Have you ever stood in a nursery in a hospital looking at the little babies and trying to figure out which one is yours or which one is your friend's or whatever? You try to see who's got whose nose, who's got whose eyes, and all that sort of thing. If you're born of that parent, you're going to have physical characteristics of that parent. But here's another reality. If you're born of the Spirit you're going to take on the characteristics of God. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to have God's nose, but it does mean you're going to have God's compassion. You're going to have God's willingness to forgive huge debts when somebody wrongs you. And when you go to God and you ask him to forgive, what you're saying when you're saying, forgive me as I've forgiven other people, what you're saying is, forgive me, because I've got your nose. And you can tell I belong to you because I've got your nose. Forget my nose. You've got, I've got your heart. And that shows that I belong to you. Okay. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is one of my favorites. How many of us have been to the Grand Canyon? Has anybody been there? Okay, a couple have. Have you walked out on the Skywalk? How many know what the Skywalk is? Okay, you've got this canto. Oh, you do. Okay, this. Say again. People pay money to go out on this thing. It it's a glass cantilevered walkway that sticks seventy feet out from the edge of the canyon. And when you walk all the way out, you're looking down 500 feet. People pay money to get out there so they have that spectacular view of the canyon. For me, I'd be happy to observe the Grand Canyon from Kansas. <laughs> Do not like high places. <laughs> and my wife will attest to this. 
What Jesus is saying is, if we love God, we're not going to like high places. We're going, not going to like the places that are close to sin. We're not going to want to see how close we can get to sin without getting burned. We're going to want instead to see how far away from sin we can get. We're going to do our very best to put as much distance between ourselves and sin as we possibly can. Jesus concludes by saying, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We go to God with great needs. We need his grace. We need his forgiveness. We need his transforming power. And there's nowhere else to go. We can't do it. We can be disciples, but we can't complete the process. We can't make the process actually work. And so Jesus gives us this prayer. He gives us these ideas, these indications of what ought to be most important to us as we go to God. And we could well put these things into practice every day to cry out to God, to trust in God, to make sure that we've got our heart in what we pray as we ask him for all these things. Amen. God bless you as you seek to grow in him. And I'd encourage you as you sing, whatever comes up next that we're going to sing, put your hearts into it. Let God touch you as you cry out to him. Amen. Mm -hmm.